Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John was a prophet, John the Baptist. He was a forerunner uh, for Christ. He was the one who was to come and announce that the Messiah is here. And uh, it was prophesied, Isaiah prophesied about John. And he said that uh, there will be, you know, uh, um, this person who cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And so just as Messiah is coming on the scene, uh, there will be this prophet preparing his way, announcing his coming. And, uh, and so there hadn't been a prophet in Israel for over 400 years. In between the Testaments, um, it was quite a time of darkness. Israel hadn't heard from God. And all of a sudden, there was this prophet crying out in the wilderness that Isaiah had prophesied about. And he was crying out saying, Christ is here. Um, the one, he is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was calling people to repentance. It's very interesting what he's saying here. Our understanding of repentance um, has been formed by years and years of church religion and tradition. And so we think that repentance means we got to confess all of our sins. We'll see, they did come confessing their sins, but I'll explain what that means. But we think repentance is like confess every single one of your sins, plead for forgiveness, um, you know, and maybe God will forgive you and let you into heaven. Um, this is not what John was preaching. Uh, in fact, Paul says in Acts chapter 19 that the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one to come. So it was a forerunner telling, announcing the coming of the Christ. And he was telling all of Israel, you need to receive this Christ, this Messiah, this anointed one. He is here and you need to believe in him because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And before this time, the kingdom of heaven wasn't at hand. Okay, uh, no one could enter into the kingdom. There was no one in, in the world previously up until this point had, who had been able to enter into the kingdom. Uh, everyone who died actually had to go down, went to paradise. The righteous dead would go to a place called paradise. And this was a waiting room waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the deliverer to come and set them free so that they could enter into the kingdom of God. But in the Old Testament, you know, People never had their sins removed. They only had their sins temporarily covered. And so animal sacrifices, keeping the law, couldn't save you. It could only temporarily cover you. Um, the Messiah had to come and offer his blood, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, offer his perfect sacrifice so that he couldn't just cover our sins, but actually remove our sins so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. We could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we could be born again and receive eternal life and then enter into the kingdom. So up until this point, no one had been able to enter the kingdom and to be born again and to be saved. And so everyone who died went down. They, the righteous dead went to paradise, which was called Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side. And um, the unrighteous dead went to Sheol, okay, and, and which was the waiting place for the unrighteous dead who would wait for judgment and eventually be turned over into the lake of fire. 
And, um, and so even the righteous dead, all the great saints of the Old Testament, Abraham, you know, David, Moses, all these guys had to go down when they died to paradise. And uh, we see that when Jesus died on the cross, when he died, he descended into the lower depths of the earth and he led captivity free. He set them free. And then when he ascended into heaven, uh, he, uh, he led captivity with him. Okay, he led a train with him and they went in, they could finally go into heaven. So with the coming of the Messiah, all of a sudden the kingdom was coming into reach before it was out of reach. No one could enter the kingdom. You know, at best law and sacrifices would would temporarily save you. You'd go to paradise and you'd still have to wait for the coming Messiah. If the coming if the Messiah never came, you would have to remain in paradise for all eternity. Okay, and it wasn't really paradise. It was a horrible place. It was half decent, but it was actually a form of hell, <laughs> to be honest. It was a, it's a form of hell, um, not as bad as Sheol, but not very good. The kingdom was suddenly, with Christ coming, was coming into reach. It was at hand. You could almost, it was, it was reachable now. And we know that through the sacrifice of Christ, that is how we are born again and enter the kingdom. Jesus said, unless you are born again, no one will enter the kingdom of God. And so up until until Christ had died and risen, no one could be born again. And so now with the coming of Christ, the kingdom and being born again and entering the kingdom is suddenly being made possible. Therefore, repent and believe. Okay, and repent is actually means to change your mind. That's what the word repent means. Okay, and so John was calling for national repentance of Israel to change your mind, to, to, he was calling for a transition, okay? Up until this point, you'd been believing in Moses, you'd been believing in works, in sacrifices, in your own works righteousness to save you, in animal sacrifices to save you. This is what Israel has been doing up until this point. Now it's time to change the way we think because the Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is suddenly at hand. It's reachable. And the only way in is through the Messiah. And so his call for repentance was change the way you think from works to faith. You've been think Israel, you've been thinking works saves us. Now it's time to uh, repent from that, repent from dead works and these things that cannot actually save you and to change your mind and believe in Jesus. Put your faith in this coming Messiah. And, uh, and so that is what repentance is. And we see Israel coming to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Uh, which, and, and them actually being baptized was an act of faith. They were believing his message. They were receiving his message. They were believing on the one to come. Um, they were starting to believe, yes, this is true. And so obviously it will say in a minute they came confessing their sins. Um, let's just read it. Now, John uh, wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, this isn't a confession of every single one of your sins. Okay, a lot of religion teaches we got to confess all of our sins. And the, the truth is, if our salvation is contingent on us confessing all of our sins, 
we're lost, okay? Because we can't even remember half the sins we did. Um, what about when we were a baby and we kicked our mother in the womb, you know, or threw a tantrum or, you know, all these different things that we've done. And it's, it's not about all the, the individual sins that you confess. It's about acknowledging, confessing, acknowledging that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Okay, and this is what Israel were doing. They were coming, acknowledging we are sinners. We are lost in sin. We are in need of a savior and we believe that Messiah is here. The savior is here. The deliverer is here. The one that was prophesied about, he is finally here. And we're coming and we're repenting. We're changing the way we think from, we can't save ourselves from our sins. Our works cannot save us. The law cannot save us. Religion cannot save us. We're coming and we're going to put our faith. We're putting our faith in Messiah, in this coming King. And that was the repentance. And um, the Jordan River was significant because um, the Jordan River represents transition. Transition. The Jordan River represents transition. And Israel came out of Egypt through a deliverer leader, Moses. And they went to the wilderness. They went under the law. And um, they came under the law. And then they came all the way up to the Jordan. They were supposed to go into the promised land. God had, God had promised the land of Canaan to them. And they were supposed to cross the Jordan River and enter into the land of promise. Okay, which figuratively is Christ. Okay, we know from Hebrews 4 that the land of rest represents Christ. We need to enter into Christ in order to enter into salvation, rest from works and come into faith. And, and that's salvation. And so um, we know the story that Israel came all the way up to the Jordan. And they, that first generation, they failed to cross and enter into the land because of unbelief, an evil heart of unbelief. Because they, there was giants in the land and they looked at the giants and they, they felt unable to do it. And they feared, um, even though God had promised them, I'll be with you, I'll give you the land. They should have had faith and believed, but they stopped at the Jordan and they didn't enter in. Um, they didn't continue in God. They, they, that's where they stopped. Um, and so God said, you will not enter that, the promised land. And uh, that generation had to die out. And God had to raise up a generation of faith. The next generation uh, that was led by Joshua. Joshua and Caleb. And, and uh, led by Joshua, who was a type of Christ. Um, and he had faith. And, and so through that faith, they crossed the Jordan and entered into the promised land. And they could only do that through faith. Okay. And so Moses wasn't allowed to come through the Jordan and go in. So the law wasn't allowed. You know, it's, it's figurative. This is figurative of salvation. Okay. Um, there is a transition that needs to happen. There's a repentance that needs to happen. And so John came baptizing in the Jordan and all of Israel came to the Jordan. And it's symbolic of we're leaving, we're leaving that old way behind, that old way of Moses, that old way of works and unbelief, unbelief in God. We're leaving that behind and we're coming into faith. We're being, baptized. we're being baptized in the Jordan. We're transitioning from works and we're coming into faith. We're believing in Christ. We're entering into Christ. And uh, that's why he was baptizing in the Jordan, because um, Israel was about to undergo a major transition out of works and into faith, out of law and into grace, out of Moses and into Christ, out of the religion of the Pharisees and into faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And uh, Israel believed John 
and they were putting their faith, they were, they were believing in faith and they were repenting and they were turning from works and they were turning towards faith in this Messiah. However, the, the Pharisees, the religious people of that time, that were, they were the religious controlling group, elite, that controlled all the people of Israel um, and they put a heavy yoke of law and religion on Israel, um, they, they weren't ready to make that transition. They didn't want to make the transition from works. They wanted to keep people in works um, and stop them from receiving the Messiah. And so listen to what John uh, says to the Pharisees. Uh, verse 7, but when he saw many, this is John, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming uh, to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Oh, that's pretty bold to call the Pharisees and the Sadducees the brood of vipers. I mean, these guys had power. They, they, they could make you disappear. You know, they, they, could, they could have you executed. Um, and you, you don't call the Pharisees brood of vipers. They were like um, pretty much the highest rank and rule over Israel at the time, other than the Roman um, government. But um, yeah, he just, in their face, you brood of vipers. In other words, you snakes. Okay, you, you sons of the devil. That's, that's, you know, the devil, the snake, that serpent, that ancient serpent. He's calling them a brood of vipers. You know, you, you conniving, slippery, dodgy snakes. You snake oil salesmen. You know, because they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. They would say one thing. They would say the law. They acted so religious and so righteous and so holy. They would appear to be so holy with all their garb and all their scriptures written all over them. They'd appear to be so holy, but actually on the inside, they're full of death and filth and hypocrisy and sin. Um, and Jesus came and he just, he just continued. I love it. His interactions with the Pharisees, as we're going to see, um, he just calls them on their hypocrisy. And eventually, when he rebukes them, he says, you Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're beautiful and you decorate and you look immaculate. But on the inside, you're full of death and filth and hypocrisy and, and uncleanness and, and sin and greed. And, you know, he just called them on it. And so they were the ultimate hypocrites. They preached the law, but actually on the inside, they sinned. Their hearts were corrupt. Their hearts were unbelieving. Their hearts were evil. And... Um, and there's an amazing theme that goes through the Gospels um, where, where Jesus exposes the hearts of the Pharisees um, for what they are. And, um, and he exposes this trust in works, the hypocrisy of trying to rely on your works to save you. Um, and it's exposing it and it's, it's to strip us of everything so that we come to the place where we realize, you know what, we cannot be perfect in ourselves we cannot be righteous in ourselves the pharisees can't they act like they can but they can't the only way we can be righteous is to have faith in jesus and that's what it all comes down to so john rebukes them you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance in other words they they say that they have repented and they turn to God and they're following God, but they don't have any fruit of it. There's nothing in them to show that they actually believe. And that was their hypocrisy. They say all these things, but they don't do the right things. And Jesus even said, you know, do what the Pharisees say, don't do what they do, you know, because they're just hypocrites. Um, and John's rebuking them. He says to them, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able 
from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Um, you know, why, why Abraham? Because they, they claimed that they were descendants of Abraham. Abraham was their father. The thing is, John is saying, don't even presume to say that you've got Abraham as your father. Because Abraham was a man of faith. Bible says that Abraham believed God and God credited to him as righteousness. That's what righteousness was, to believe God. Not all these works, but actually to believe God. God said that is righteousness. But these Pharisees, they didn't believe God. They weren't accepting John's message. They weren't accepting the, the Christ, the Messiah. Um, they were against John and against uh, you know, the Messiah. And, um, and John's saying, no, you, you're not people of faith. You're actually people of unbelief and hypocrisy and um, don't even think that Abraham is your father. Verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The Pharisees, John is saying that you're, a bad, you're bad trees. You don't bear fruit. All you got is leaves. You just got religion, fig leaf religion. Um, you know, but you don't actually bear uh, any fruit to show that you believe in God, you have faith in God. And in fact, when you look through the Gospels, you'll see that there is a theme uh, about fruit. And actually, what fruit is, is simply just having faith. And these Pharisees didn't have faith. You don't presume that you're children of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was the fruit. That's, that's the, the, the fruit of faith. You, you Pharisees, you're bad trees. You don't have any fruit. You don't have faith. You don't move in faith. You don't even receive John as the prophet. You were rejecting him. You don't receive. And later we see they didn't receive Christ. They rejected Christ. They didn't have faith. And um, so they had bad fruit. And he was threatening them, saying, you, you think you're so righteous and you're so holy. But actually the axe is at the, the root of the tree. It's ready to chop you down and throw you into the fire. You're not righteous. You're not saved. You're not holy. You're wicked and sinful and you're full of sin and you're under the judgments of God. You Pharisees need to repent and come into faith. You need to repent from dead works and trusting in yourselves and your own works righteousness and self-righteousness. And you need to come and repent and confess you're sinners in need of a savior. And that Savior is Jesus, the Christ, the one who is coming, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Repent, turn away from your religion and turn to Christ in faith. But we don't see them doing that. Some, some did that, but most of them didn't. Um, John is pretty intense. He's a prophet. He's a wild man. Um, but he's awesome. I love John. Okay, verse 11 I baptize you with what I love. I love people that stand up to the bullies and the Pharisees were bullies. They were religious bullies that were controlling Israel. Um, they were controlling them with religion, with guilt, with shame. And the whole time they're actually profiting off Israel. They were getting rich off Israel and off people's guilt and shame and off their religion. And they kept setting the, the standard higher, uh, the bar higher so that it could couldn't achieve it. Israel couldn't achieve it. They could almost achieve it. And the more they tried, the more the Pharisees profited, the more money they made, the more control that they had. Um, you know, they ran the synagogues. And if, if, if you offended the Pharisees and it didn't obey them and toe the line with them, they would kick you out of the synagogue and um, you'd get excommunicated. And in those days, that was equivalent to losing your salvation. You know, you're not going to go to heaven. 
um, if you get kicked out of synagogue, because, you know, synagogue is where you maintain your salvation, quote, you know, through works, through, you know, um, doing all these religious rituals and works. So that's how you maintain your salvation. And if you couldn't go to synagogue, you couldn't maintain your salvation. And so the Pharisees kept Israel under the threat of excommunication and the threat of losing his salvation. And so Israel was always trying to obey the Pharisees and, you know, honor the Pharisees. And, and in fact, Israel looked up to the Pharisees and legalism in those days was a virtue. It's like we're all trying to be really legalistic and do all the right things and keep all the laws and keep all the commandments so that we can go to heaven. And this is what John was saying. It's time to repent. These, these ways of thinking is coming to an end because the kingdom is at hand and the Messiah is here. The deliverer is here and he's ready to deliver us from our sins and from our inability to save ourselves. And he is the savior. And all we need to do is put our faith in him and he will save us and it's time to repent and change the way we think that old way is gone and the new way is here and the pharisees they really didn't like that because they were losing control they they started to lose control as jesus came and we'll see um, how much they hated that because the pharisees they didn't care about people all they cared about was control and power all right okay verse 11 i baptize you with water this is still John talking for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Just incredible humility. And, and he, he knows who this Messiah is. Um, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff. He will burn with unquenchable fire. And so this is John. And he's saying that when Jesus comes, Jesus, he's going to be the one who, um, John says, I baptize you with water. Um, but when Jesus comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay. And then some people say, well, you know, that fire, that's judgment. Um, but actually what we see here is two kinds of fire. Um, there is Holy Spirit and fire. And then we see, um, you know, clearing the threshing floor, the wheat will go into the barn, but the chaff, you know, what's left over after the, the wheat, the fruit, those, those who had faith, the fruit, um, the, the chaff that's left over, the, that's just the leaves, it's those that didn't have faith, they are going to get cast into fire, um, which is symbolic of hell and lake of fire. And so there's two fires that we see here. There's Holy Spirit fire, and then there's judgment fire. And... Um, you know, some people say, oh, you know, you don't want the Holy Spirit fire because that's God's judgment. No, no. Even in the Old Testament, under the Moses, we see the, the fire of God, which is his glory. It's his presence, his presence fire. And then we also see judgment fire that came down on the sacrifice that came out of heaven and judged people at times. Fire of God that burnt people up. Elijah called down fire on the enemies of God and they were consumed um, but then Moses, he went up into the mountain of the Lord, uh, into the cloud. And the Bible says that the cloud was the glory of God. And within the cloud, it was like fire. And Moses went into the cloud. He went into the glory. He went into the fire of God. And that's the fire of his presence. He was in it for 40 days and 40 nights. And he didn't want to come out because it was so awesome. Um, and we see on the day of Pentecost 
they were, you know, the Holy Spirit came, they were in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind, and then they saw fire come in and it separated and it rested upon each person, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and with the fire of God. And so the Holy Spirit fire is a wonderful thing. It's the presence of God. It it comes and it burns in us, it burns out all the it burns out all the things that shouldn't be there, you know. Burn, you know, all the. It, it brings healing. It it it's purging fire. It it goes through us and it purges out emotional pain, um, sin, temptation. Um, it it burns out. You know, just doubt, unbelief. When you encounter the fire of God, the presence of God, you encounter His glory. I, I tell you, it just changes you. Something happens inside of you and um, things, there's certain things that just can't exist in his fire, in his presence. And uh, that's why it's good as a believer to get in the presence of God. You know, Moses in the Old Testament, he encountered the glory and the presence of God. How much more us in the New Testament should encounter the glory and the presence of God? And, um, you know, and then also in the Old Testament, there was, there was fire of judgment in the New Testament um, that fire of judgment is on Judgment Day. At the end of the world, there will be that fire. Um, before then, there isn't that kind of judgment. Jesus took the judgment, the wrath, the fire on the perfect sacrifice. The fire of God fell. The wrath of God fell um, on Christ on the cross. And um, and now we are in an age of grace, a dispensation of grace. And God is patient with people, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance, to believe in Jesus Christ. And so God is not bringing, um, you know, judgment on the world. God brought judgment on Christ. And now he's patient with this world, um, not wanting anyone to perish. Even Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And so Jesus didn't speak judgment on people. He took the judgment on himself and he, and he extended grace and mercy and peace towards towards people and towards mankind. and uh, But there is coming a day, a day of judgment, when um, people will stand before God and those that are not in Christ, they didn't have faith, but they trusted in their own works and in themselves, they rejected Christ. They're going to face, unfortunately and horrifically, they're going to face the judgment fire of God. And so that's what John is warning about. And he's saying to you Pharisees, you're a part of that. Because you're in unbelief, because you're rejecting Christ, you're going to face the judgment fire of God one day um, when you stand before him. All right, Whew. heavy stuff, but this is the truth. This is the word of God. And I'd, I'd just rather have the Holy Spirit fire than uh, reject Christ and live for myself. And, you know, I just, I, man, I just want to live for Jesus, live for him, be full of him, be full of the Holy Spirit and walk in the Holy Spirit fire of God. Um, it is so awesome. All right. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting uh, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John consented. So what does that mean that uh, it, is, it is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus being baptized uh, by John was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Um, so people just speculate what that means because it's not 100% clear what that means. It doesn't really explain that anywhere else. Um, is this a part of Jesus fulfilling 
the law? Um, is it is it something else? Um, you know, personally, what I believe is that you know Christ, the Messiah, the righteous one, is here. He's the fulfillment um, of the prophecies. The you know, and and John was the forerunner. He came to announce the coming of Christ and to prepare the way. And so now Christ was coming. He was actually coming. And uh, as he was baptized, it was actually revealing that he is here. It's the fulfillment of what was prophesied, of the righteousness that was prophesied. God said to Abraham, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And uh, that's actually speaking about righteousness will come to all the nations of the world. And so that was to be fulfilled through Christ. So Christ is the fulfillment um, of all those prophecies and that through him righteousness will be um, fulfilled. We actually see in the next few verses that as Christ was baptized, um, heavens were open and it's, it's, it's like a confirmation that he is the Christ, that this is the fulfillment of, of righteousness, of, of, the prophetic, of the prophecies, that the righteous one is here, the deliverer, the savior, the anointed one, he is here. This is it, Israel. This is, it's happening now. The kingdom is at hand and righteousness is being fulfilled. You cannot fulfill it through the law, but Christ came to fulfill righteousness and to show us the way um, on how to be righteous. And that's not through works and law and Moses, but it's simply through faith in Christ and the grace of God we receive through what Jesus did on the cross for us. Pretty, pretty awesome. Then, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well Please, pretty epic event. Um, if you were there, you know, waiting in line to be baptized and there's this big long line and, you know, here comes Jesus. And we know that John actually said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And Israel's like, this guy, him, um, you know, it's like he just looks like an ordinary guy. He doesn't look like some big glorious king. And, and, um, and so then he gets baptized and comes up out of the water all of a sudden the heavens are open you know what did that look like what did that sound like i mean you can imagine i mean i believe that that literally happened because why because i believe the word of god and um, the heavens were open and there was a mighty sound actually the spirit of god came down upon him See, Jesus was the anointed one, and this was the anointing of God, the endorsement of God, the spirit of God, the power of God, the fire of God was coming upon Jesus. And it says like a dove. Okay, so it wasn't a dove. A lot of people say the Holy Spirit, he's a dove and the dove of the Holy, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. Okay, he's not a bird. He's the, he's the mighty powerful spirit of the living God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God, the Holy Spirit. He's not some little dove. Okay, but it just says like a dove. So so it's like the spirit, this this glory presence like came out of heaven. Heaven, the, the sky opened up and it was like the glory realm, the heavenly realm was there and coming out of heaven was the spirit that descended and it came and it rested upon Jesus. And, um, and it rested on him and he received power from the Holy Spirit. That's when he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, and then a mighty loud voice 
came from heaven saying, behold, this is my son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this is just wonderful. Firstly, um, this is God the Father saying that this is my son. You know, that Jesus is the son of God. Basically, that's, that's, that's the prophecy fulfilled. The Messiah is here. The one that was promised, he is here. And there was a big voice from heaven endorsing Jesus, saying, this is the one. He is my son. And so Pharisees would have heard that. Israel would have heard that. So there really should have been no reason to doubt ever again whether Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah or not. Okay, this absolutely showed and proved that he was. And yet we'll see time and time again, people doubting it, even the disciples doubting it. At one stage, even John the Baptist was doubting it. Um, and, and a lot of Israel just were doubting it. But um, there should have been no doubt, should have been absolute faith. This is, this is the one, he's here, the kingdom is at hand. Let's follow Jesus. And a lot of people did believe and they followed Jesus. Um, and a lot of people struggled to believe but they shouldn't have struggled because they had it. And then I just love, um, it says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And this is just grace being displayed right here. Um, because, you know, before Jesus had done anything for God, Jesus hadn't started his ministry. He hadn't done anything. And God was saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And uh, see, religion wants to make us have to work for the father's approval, for the father's love. Um, for the Father's acceptance, but grace makes us children of God, and it and it tells us and it shows us that we already have the the love of the Father, the acceptance of the Father, the approval of the Father before we've done anything for God. Okay, we don't serve God and live for God and do all these things for God um, to try to earn His love or His blessing or His favor or His acceptance and approval. We already have those things. And so that's what grace is. That's why I love the grace of God. We're not working to try to get something that we already have. But because we have his love, because we are approved and accepted in Christ, because we already have those things, then um, our life is an overflow of those things. And the things that we do for God, you know, whether it's witnessing, evangelizing, going to church, loving people, giving generously, um, praying for the sick, whatever you do for you know, in this life for God, you're not doing it to try to get something. You're doing it because you already have his love, his approval and acceptance. And the reality is, um, here's the truth. Okay. Even if we never did another thing for God for the rest of our life, he would still love us, accept us and approve of us. And uh, because, because that's his grace. It's unconditional love and favor and blessings, unmerited favor. That is the grace of God. And so grace came through Jesus. Law came through Moses. Law, under the law, you have to earn blessing. You have to earn God's love, his favor. You've got to earn forgiveness. You've got to earn all these things. And that's why it's a heavy yoke. It's an impossible thing. No one can do it. No one can fulfill it completely. Jesus fulfilled the law and righteousness on our behalf so that we could receive it as a gift, become children of God, become accepted in Christ, and come into this place of, of sonship where God loves us, accepts us and approves us permanently every moment of every day. That's why we can have boldness in his presence. Even if we sinned and messed up, we can draw near with boldness because it's not based 
on what we do in our performance. It's based on the fact that we're in Christ and that we're beloved children of God. And that is so good. And this is the very thing that gives us our inner sense of personhood, of value, of importance. Um, and this is something that every person needs to understand and believe and have deep in their heart. They need to have faith and receive it deep in their heart. You are loved by God. You're accepted and you are approved by God. You don't have to go out into this world and try to do anything to get acceptance, approval, love. You know, it's, it's like when you don't have that in your heart, the love of God, the acceptance, when you don't have that in your heart, you'll look for it everywhere else and you'll try to get it from things and so people sleep around have multiple partners just to try to feel loved um, people will join gangs to try to get acceptance and approval people will go and commit all kinds of crimes and things um, just to be accepted by people um, you know and and you know because you, if, if you don't have this this settled in your heart um, you'll be insecure and you'll have this big hole and you'll be looking for it in other places. But I tell you, when you have it in your heart, when this is in your heart, I tell you, you're secure, you're at peace. You don't have to try to go and get it from anywhere else, but you simply just live in it and you walk in it and you'll help give it to other people and bring other people into it. And this is why I love grace so much. Hey, this is Ryan Rufus and I hope you enjoyed this last chapter. Could I ask, if you've been blessed by the Grace Bible Commentary, would you consider making a donation to New Nature Ministries to help support the ongoing work of the Grace Bible Commentary? That would be greatly appreciated. To do that, simply go to newnatureministries.org. Thank you and God bless.